This is Passing for Normal, conversations about change. That means conversations about hope, innovation, transformation, courage, activism, and being on the cutting edge. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, pioneering changemakers across many different fields. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and find the courage to create change in your life and in the larger world around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream? That's Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal. Have you been concerned about how it can be safe to breathe during wildfires and other severe pollution events? My guest today is breath and movement expert Robert Littman. Robert Littman is a certified breathing behavior analyst. He integrates several movement and breath disciplines, Buteco breathing technique, continuum, and the Dugan French approach to create what he calls the breathable body, providing guidance and tools for restoring healthy breathing rhythms, helping people with disorders such as asthma, anxiety, allergies, panic attacks, and sleep apnea, and really for anyone to improve structural alignment, efficient body mechanics, and personal growth. And today we'll be talking about how to make it safe to breathe when the air is not clear, something we are needing here on the West Coast more and more. Hello, Robert. Hi, Sharon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, this is the third time you've been on Passing for Normal because your guidance and perspective is so vital to the most essential area of change there is, namely how we are breathing. Boy, I totally agree with that. I, um, you know, I've been really since the onslaught of global warming and uh, smoke and fires last year in California and Washington, it's just become more obvious that a lot of the political actions that we're taking in the world today really are based in can we breathe better? That is the most essential thing we can do. And it is the most, uh, and it is the thing that is at risk for many people on the planet. There are over 25 million people who suffer from asthma who are, who can't, you know, when there's any pollution in the air, have a really difficult time in breathing. Um, every family I talk to and every, all the people I talk to, somebody always says, oh, I have a friend or I have a relative or I have a niece or I have a nephew who suffers from asthma. Everybody knows somebody who has difficulty breathing. Right, and in the cases of uh, wildfires uh, that you were experiencing up in Washington and that we certainly have been experiencing in the last you know, terribly in the last two years, um, everyone is having trouble breathing. Yeah, it was really spooky to me last year. I got in touch with something that I wasn't aware of before. It was a couple of days. I live on Vashon Island, which is about a 15-minute ferry ride off the coast of West Seattle. And um, the sun was just bright red. And I swear I couldn't see but 25 yards in front of me. And there was no smoke on the island. It was all coming from... British Columbia, Eastern Washington, Western Washington, and it was just, we live in the Puget Sound, and it's a kind of a, a bowl, because there are mountains all around us, and it was just accumulating here, and I got in touch with the fact that, oh my God, I am terrified that if this got any worse, I wouldn't be able to breathe, having being an asthmatic, and recognizing a deep-seated fear that I am labeling primordial fear like I'm an animal in the jungle with the jungle being on fire and running for my life and realizing I have really nowhere to run and I don't know what's coming and I can't see it, but I know right now I can't breathe. Right. And, and so I, I live... started to take up, excuse me, I started to take up the campaign about 
it's not only about the fires, it's how fearful we are inside and whether we can recognize that fear and what we can do to uh, both ameliorate it and also cope with the fear through our own breathing to learn how to settle ourselves down in the middle of something very frightening. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I was going to say that I live um, in Los Angeles and I was very close to the Woolsey fire um, last November that was in Malibu and and the air was completely filled with smoke, completely filled with smoke. And I felt frozen. I didn't, you know, you certainly staying inside, but I just didn't even know where to go, what to do, you know, how to manage. Um, and whether or not the fire was going to be coming. So I'm so glad to be talking to you and have you providing some information for anyone who's listening about how to do exactly what you're saying, how to settle yourself and how to attend your breathing in the situations that um, not only bring up fear, but that um, inhibit our ability to breathe fully. So can you talk about, you know, what are some of the effects that we experience when we're breathing smoky air or extreme pollution? Well, yeah, the one of the things that I find, you know, in doing some more research about wildfires is also the constituency of the particulates that are in the smoke. So it depends what's actually burning, you know, right. the hydrocarbons and formaldehydes and you know if buildings are burning the plastic that they're in them so it's a very it's different for um for every area of fire but the most important thing is to be able to um eliminate the smoke and the smoke that uh so we need to be prepared for smoke and so the uh you know like anybody on construction knows you wear a mask and we see people in the airports wearing masks but there are very specific masks that are needed for wildfires and for smoke. And those are rated um, by the government as, as N95 to N99s. And um, they, they are, can be purchased on Amazon or your local um, pharmacy in some cases. Um, but they have to really fit really well. They usually have a piece of metal around the nose and have two, two straps. One strap will not do. But the interesting, one of the interesting things, too, is you have to be clean-shaven. Uh, to wear one of those masks. Um, so all these beards that men are, you know, wearing and all the short beards, they, you know, just imagine they're like little uh, pinpricks sticking up and pushing the mask just a little bit away from the face, in which case the smoke will get underneath the mask. Wow. So yeah, have to be clean. Yeah, isn't that interesting, right? No, never and thought the other about thing that, really as horrific, well as which, it's probably gathering, you know, particles in the beard, right? If it's a full of beard. That's true. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to mention also, I wanted to mention also that, you know, the time to purchase these masks on Amazon or from your, you know, hardware store is not during the incident, but before, because again, you know, living here, um, all the masks were sold out everywhere and people were, you know, people were offering to, you know, go out of the area and, you know, buy them and bring them back for people. But you know, the, like in any emergency, the time to um, to get what you need is beforehand and not when everybody else suddenly needs it as well. That's true. And so uh, there are some N95 masks um, that you can buy like for the, by the dozen. They only last eight hours. So once you've used them for eight hours, you have to take them, you have to throw them away. Okay, I didn't know Those that either. Those are about, you know, 
They're about $12 for about a dozen or 10 of them. But then there's also masks made by 3M, and um, I forget the other name of the company, but they're on Amazon, for upwards of 30 to $40. And they have washable inserts, so you can clean them and wash them and reuse them. But the ones that are really valuable are the ones that have the little filters on the side, little circular filters on the side, so the air is actually being filtered through an additional filter. And one of the things that happens when you wear a mask is the air, pulling air in and out through a mask is much more difficult than just breathing in regular air. So there can be this feeling of being short of breath when you're wearing a mask, which then speaks to that the activity that most one of the most important things when the smoke is in the air is to reduce your activity level. Because if you reduce your activity level, then you reduce the frequency and the depth of breathing. So it's very important to be really quiet when smoke is in the air in your own home. Mm-hmm. And not only quiet, but you, you know, you think one of the things you could do, maybe perhaps, is vacuum the house or things, things, things like that. You have to not make sure you do not vacuum when the smoke is around because it stirs it all up. And you want to eliminate any grilling or cooking in the house because you're creating more more smoke when the smoke is already permeating through the house from outside. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of things you have to take into account. But yes, you're right. You must prepare beforehand. Then I also would suggest wearing one when there is no smoke so you can feel what it's like, get used to the idea, and really understand how you'll have to behave when the smoke is actually there. Yeah, good idea. And so then what about filters for your home? Are they helpful? Well, then, you, yes, they are helpful, and they are rated um, um, also in a, in a in, in, you know, I'm looking for that number. It's a CAD, C-A-D-R number. Um, and so um, you have to the smoke. Smokily is usually that usually around 0.3 microns. So you have to have a filtering system that actually can filter down that small. And usually HEPA filters will do that, but it doesn't take the gas out of the air. And so filters that have HEPA filters and um, charcoal in them are useful. Mm-hmm. And from what my from my research shows that if you have a 200 square foot room and you're trying to keep the smoke out of that. You want to get one that's rated for 600 square feet because the job is going to be so much more uh, intense when the smoke is around. So you want to get a much more, so three times the amount, so a filter that's going to work for three times the size of the room you're actually trying to use it in. And obviously to keep your windows shut. Keep your windows shut and, you know, if you have air conditioning, you know, that's the thing to have good air conditioning and they have Filters for air conditioning is based on a MERV, M-E-R-V, um, uh, ratings uh, that are more pleated and actually are more effective. And so, it's, you know, if you're having smoke in the air, better to have the more effective filters in your air conditioning. And um, there's also things you can do, like for window air conditioners, you can just uh, online some do-it-yourself filters where you put them around the outside of your air conditioner. And kind of create a little filter box of filters outside on the air conditioner. So the air that's being pulled by the air conditioner through your house is already being filtered before it comes into the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So lots to be lots to be prepared for. Lots to be prepared. And alternative plan and, and alternative plans to know in your area if you don't have some of these things, what buildings do. So like here on Vashon. We happen to know that the library, which is just built a couple of years ago, has a very effective air conditioning system in it. So people can go to the library 
and all the people can go to the supermarket. But that's about it here on Vashon. None of the other buildings, maybe the new uh, art center has air conditioning too. But, um, you know, we're usually cooler weather here, so most people don't have air conditioning. So um, knowing where your resources are so that you can go to them. Great. Get some fresh air, which also speaks to the fact, well, that means I'm going outside and getting in my car, which also means, yes, you can buy air filters for your car so that while you're driving, the air is being filtered in your car as well. Right. And and what you're talking about is not is not just when the fire is close by and you are really in a state of emergency, but when the smoke is lingering in the air for a very long time, either during a fire that's at a distance or uh, one that is, you know, taking a very long time to be put out, like what was happening in Northern California um, this past fall. There, the air in Northern California was just smoky for a very, very long time even in areas yeah. where, the, where the fire was not um, coming close, like in San Francisco itself. Yeah, and one of the things you can do for yourself also, most people have smartphones, and if you don't, you have it on your computer, you can go to um, Air Quality by the government, or there's an app from the iTunes store called Air Visual, and uh, it gives you an hour-by-hour -hour rating of what the air is like in your area. So if you don't even know what's going on outside, you can just look on your phone and find out. Um, what's going on. I know you're in Los Angeles, and I know it's not good news, but right now the air quality in Los Angeles is rated at number 89. Anything over 50 becomes moderate, 50 to 100. So the air in L.A. right at the moment is moderately healthy. And most people like yourself, Jeremy, doesn't suffer from respiratory disorders. It's fine. But somebody with COPD or asthma would know right away that the air quality mm -hmm. is only moderately healthy for them. So yeah. you can track the air yourself so you know what's going on. So we've been talking about um, the air itself and how to filter between you and the air. But so what about within my own body, within my own breathing? How can I um, build a more effective response when, uh, when my breathing is challenged yeah, that's a good question, and I appreciate uh, you asking it, and so I can answer it. The first thing, of course, the first line of defense is the guardian of the lungs, and the nose is the guardian of the lungs. The three most common things that we know about the nose is that it filters 95 to 98% of the particulates out of the air. Those are usually larger particulates, as well as humidifies and, um, and sets the right temperature for the air for the lungs. So... It's essentially important when the smoke is in the air to not use your mouth for breathing because it will have no filtering effect. Everything that's in the air will go directly right into your lung. And the difficulty with that is that sometimes that smoke smells really bad and you don't want to smell it. Mm. So, you know, you think you're opening your mouth, you bypass the smelling, but you just take that stuff directly into your lungs. And that's the worst thing you can possibly do. So that's the first step and first line of defense for any kind of pollution in the air or any kind of general breathing in well, as well. The nose is for breathing and the mouth is for eating. You breathe through your mouth as often as you eat through your nose. It's a good thing to remember. Yes, very. <laughs> and, and easy to remember because it's, it's funny, but it's true. Um, humorous. Humorous, yeah. right. And the other, thing to do, the, other, the other thing to do is to really take into mind to pace yourself in whatever activity you're doing, whether it's cooking or whether it's walking from room to room, 
that you do it at a pace that allows you to continue to breathe through your nose. If you find yourself breathing through your mouth, if you're moving too quickly, and you need to slow your movement down so your nose can keep pace with your with the, your activity level. Mm. Those are two very important things. And when there's smoke in the air, you want that activity level to be really quiet. Like how quiet are you talking about? Well, if I found smoke in my air around my house like I did last year, I would just be sitting on the couch being really quiet, not even watching television, just relaxing my body onto a place where I feel like I'm supported and I'm comfortable and let my breathing slow down and just hang out, maybe read a book. I find that reading a book often slows my breathing down. Watching television has the effect of actually speeding your breathing up because the images move so quickly and your body's trying to keep up with that. So breathing tends to accelerate when you're watching television. And especially if I'm watching reports about the fire, right? That's, right. That is... That's the other, yes. Yeah going to make you more scared and the you know the, the the other big piece of course that when we know when we see something really threatening in our world like a bear or something where if we're hiking we're going to take a big breath through our mouth to put us into fight or flight so that we're on alert and we're very focused and need to run or fight if we are um, really in um, immediate danger for our lives and so every breath you take through your mouth, when you breathe through your mouth, you do trigger the nervous system deep to be a little bit more on alert and mobilized. And, you know, sometimes that's really a good thing if you're really wanting to mobilize and focus on something. But if you're trying to relax your body and not be mobilized but be easy in yourself, you really want to keep your mouth closed because otherwise it, it, it revs up the nervous system. Right. So there's fight and flight, but there's also freeze. There is also a phrase where you become immobilized, right? Right, and... You can make a, sort of like a paralysis, I don't know, make, can't make a move at all. Mm -hmm. Right, and um, I noticed for myself that in the presence of this heavy smoke, I felt frozen. Like mm -hmm. I didn't really know where to go, what to do. Yeah, that's the mental side of it. The other side of the frozen is that it's also making you be very still, uh -huh. which is a very, which is a very um, effective uh, strategy against threat. Uh -huh. Playing dead. Playing so dead. So it's a place where you could use that, like you use that immobilization and sort of recontextualize it to, oh, I'm immobilized. This must be the time that I really need to be quiet and rested. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great insight. And I know that you mm -hmm. talk about in terms of our physiological responses to fear, that it's not just real fear, the bear is at my door, but it's also the same exact response if I have imagined fears. That's right. And so when smoke is around, the thing that I find frightening is the smoke is when there's smoke, there's fire. But if I don't know where the fire is, I don't know what to do. I don't know how close it is, it's going to be near me any minute, or what is going to happen. So it does, for me, that's where that primordial fear came from. It's like, oh my gosh, it could be encroaching, and I also and maybe will not be able to breathe. I could suffocate from what's going on, and I have no idea what's going on. So you have to tune into the radio, find out what's really going on, or the television for that, for that response. But um, the fear is really actually very real. Our nervous system, Stephen Porges, who is um, the creator of the polyvagal theory talks about neuroception where our our neurology 
is much more aware of what's going on even before we're conscious of it. And so I think that's what's going on for me when the smoke is here, that my nervous system is very much in touch with, there's a real threat here. And we're frightened. Right. Right. And so we're frightened in the moment. Um, we're also frightened of what the implications of these events are, right, in terms of a larger um, scope of, of climate change. And, you know, they say that the wildfires are only going to be getting worse here on the, on the West Coast. And um, so denial comes into play, right? You know, so fear and denial, it's like I'm, I'm immediately afraid, but I'm also in denial about what the larger implications are and how does that affect my breathing, and my strategies. Well, I think that, I, yeah, I think that denial keeps us actually a little bit away from the fear. And I think when we break through denial and we recognize how frightened we are, it then really becomes actually a kind of a political, a grassroots political action. It's like, we know that this is of our creation in some way. Yes, the fires are nature oriented, but the climate change, you know, we're, we, we've done a lot of this. So, um, you know, coming out of denial, it says, well, this is really the most important issue there is. That's my feeling of it. What is it that we can do about this for the long run? Because this isn't getting any better. There's a couple of frightening stories. I'll just add some more fear to the mix here. Oh, thank you very there's much. A, there's a, you know, this was a report today about global warming on the border between Russia and Finland, which is right by the Arctic Circle up there. And normal temperatures at this time of the year are 54 degrees. Today, they were 84. <gasps> That's not just a few degrees more. 30 degrees warmer than normal at the Arctic Circle. Hmm. You know what that means? Yeah. So here's another story. They just, they, they, unbeknownst to them, a group of scientists went up to the top of the pyramids, pyramids in Spain just out of curiosity to test the air quality for a month up, up, up on the Pyrenees, Pyrenees, which is about 4,000 feet up. They were shocked to find the air filled with microplastic. It's in our everywhere. We, used to, we knew it was in our water, and now we're finding out it's in our air. So we're all breathing plastic all the time. All the time. Drinking it, breathing it. Right. It's, it's becoming so part of our makeup. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's becoming everywhere. So now the National Parks Conservation Association just issued a report that 85% of the national parks in the lower United States have unhealthy air to breathe. Mm. Mm. Sad, yeah? Very sad because this is where... Yeah, this is where people take vacations. This is where people go to be in grand nature. Yeah, and think they're getting some relief from the city. And so like Joshua Tree, for instance, outside of L.A., polluted. Air is polluted. And so you go there for vacation, and then you find, well, I still don't breathe any better here than I do at home, or maybe even worse. Mm-hmm. And um, 100% of the national parks are hazy. So whatever you're looking at, you'll be looking at through haze. So, you know, especially for somebody with asthma who goes there or any kind of breathing disorders, the air's not any better there. And, when, and I think what it did, what it did for me to realize that is like the illusion that pollution only hangs over cities. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's all crowded, we got vehicles, everything's crowded, nothing's moving. No, it really speaks to, it's covering the, it's covering the planet. Yeah, yeah. And especially so in these places that we consider uh, refuge, right? Nature is refuge. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, so the, the air is difficult to breathe and it, there's threats of fire um, and other, you know, weather calamities that happen in different parts of the country. Um, Some guy just took a submersible. I know it's just a guy or another science, a group of scientists took a submersible to the deepest place in the ocean. The deepest, they went down to the deepest you know, level of the ocean. Guess what they found down there? Candy wrappers and plastic bags. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, time for us to wake up. Time for us to wake up. And, um, uh, yeah. So what do you recommend, <laughs> Robert? Well, I, Breathe through I, our I do, nose. Do, Breathe do, through our know, nose. My, my own passion around it. Yeah, my own passion around it is because I do recognize that the breathing is the most important issue, and it's the most important thing that we have to face is the loss of our, our quality of our air to breathe. And I think when it becomes that personal, then however you think you need to make an impact into the world to make a change, you'll have to take that on for yourself. So that's why I'm doing these things around wildfires and trying to help people be prepared for it, because I think they need to recognize that, and come out of denial that, that this is, things are amiss. And it's not distant from us. It's right in under your nose. And then whatever action you think is important. That's right. And whether or not... I wish I... I was going to say whether or not you believe that, you know, that the changes in climate are uh, created by humans, humans certainly can do something about it. Humans certainly can do something to improve the environment where we're living right now, everywhere you turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing this, this yes. I mean, I, th- I wish I, you know, at some particular point, I would like to create a, uh, a, a, some kind of um, action committee t- to really make this case at a more global level, which I know a lot of people do already, but uh, it is so essential. And, um, and yeah, one of the things that I'm doing with the, the, fire, the fire department on this particular presentation I'm making in June in Bashan is how to make your home defensible. I mean, there are lots of things you can do around your home to make sure that you're not susceptible to catching on fire because fires are around or because fireworks go off or things like that. And a lot of it has to do with clearing out the debris around your house and making sure grasses are cut and trees aren't too close to the house and things like that. Right. And having a water supply that works. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Any other pieces about that? No, not at this moment. Mm-hmm. Just, um, the seriousness of it. I live, you know, I live on, a, on an island of 10,000 people, and I think it's been once or twice this island has been destroyed from fires. The old, old growth here was burned down, and the town has burned down once or twice. And so we're real susceptible because we can't get off the island unless we're all loading onto ferries to run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like living in Los Angeles in Topanga Canyon or a place like that where you know if a fire came through there, It'd be very difficult. So you need to be prepared for where you can go if you need to get off the island or out of your, out of your locale if things get bad. 
That's right. And actually also know where you're going to go, like having some ideas about where to go. Mm-hmm. 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 It's always a good idea. Well, yeah. so when it comes to breathing again, too, I think, you know, for those who have, are on medications and uh, have um, <clears throat> nebulizers and uh, oxygen, there also needs to be a lot of preparation to make sure you have enough of a supply of that on hand. So if you can't get to the store, you at least have some backup, backup supplies so that you uh, can keep yourself healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So to recap, you're recommending that people have home filters and masks, and you are uh, recommending that people always breathe through their nose, whether they're in a, a dangerous air situation or not, um, and that That's they right. reduce their uh, activity when breathing is difficult. Absolutely. Stay indoors, cancel any kind of outdoor activity or anything that's going to cause your breath to increase. And the two of the two of the pieces that I think are worth mentioning here, um, especially for parents, there are no masks on the market for children. Mm-hmm. They're all adult masks. So finding out what you can do to get a mask for yourself that would fit your child way ahead of time by either cutting it down, putting extra straps on it, or making sure that your children, like they say in the airplane, you know, yes. uh, take care of yourself first and maybe just a second. But in this particular case, I'm saying, yes, take care of yourself, but also make sure you're, uh, you have something for your children because there's no, no um, like I said, no masks for children right at this time. And what about pets and, and animals? The other thing is, Yes, pets and animals too. That was a big issue in the California fires, was what to do with pets. And mm-hmm. A lot of pets went for rescue. And the other thing is, um, and we have something here called Nero, which is a neighborhood organization. And I think it's really good to know in your neighborhood and be connected to community in a way that says, I know who's in my community who does have breathing difficulties. So when something happens, we can check in on each other and say, are you really okay? Do you need anything? Because I know that you already suffer. So there can be some community and just really local neighborhood, um, you know, companionship that can really help people out. Because some, like, let's say your next door neighbor's air conditioning went out and you have air conditioning and you know they're in trouble, you could go over there and say, listen, I know you don't have any breathing and I know you lost power over here. Why don't you come over to my house where the air conditioning is working? So we can reach out to each other to help support those who are in more need for cleaner air. Mm, yeah, that's fantastic. As well as any other situation that comes up, uh, it's really good to know your neighbors and uh, be in connection with them. So, Robert, yeah, and this condition. yes, and other conditions. Um, so, Robert, this has been an incredibly informative um, conversation. And um, uh, just to wrap up, I would like it if you could tell people how they can find you, how they can find out more information about the breathable body and about specifically um, these workshops that you're offering. Um, please tell us. Yeah, I, my website is called thebreathablebody.com. Um, and it's um, and my work is about our bodies breathe and we need to have a body that is fully breathable. And so I have classes and workshops listed under events on that website, and I have contact information. I work online quite a bit, helping people learn a little bit more about, not a little bit more, a lot about their breathing and how to work with their breathing to, to maximize their own particular health. And, um, and I have classes locally, and I travel around the country and around the world teaching classes. And so some of my events are now are posted right there right now. 
Fantastic. Well, you so are it's, such... It's the breathable... Yeah, yeah, go on. I could interrupt you. I just was going to repeat it. It's thebreathablebody.com. Great. Well, you are such an incredible resource, and um, I appreciate so much all the different times that we've talked together, and uh, I look forward to more. Yeah, good. Me too. I really appreciate that you do this. It's great service. All the things, all the different uh, podcasts you put on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. If you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. It helps our audience to grow. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website. Large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Dare to bring new ideas forward. Our world needs you right now.